I just want to say thank you so much for allowing me to be here uh, this week with you, and I thank the Lord that He has uh, brought us together and knitted us together in hearts and in spirits. Thank you so very much, everybody. Maybe seated. Thank you very much. I would like to show uh, I'm a good sport, and that is that I wore the socks tonight. And my wife made sure that I wore this shirt that would actually color coordinate with the socks. Yeah, these are the... So, uh, <laughs> that was all her idea. Uh, but uh, it was a great pleasure to be with you. I, I just checked my app, and there, I, I'm, I am on here. Something wrong. You're doing something wrong. You're on there, but the video wasn't playing. It was all audio. What? I'm looking at myself here, man. Looking good. What's that? You're right. No, that's, that's what I'm talking about. If, if anybody would like to uh, get uh, to check out our app, you just go into your app store and uh, you type in Agape Church app. Uh, and a little blue icon comes up. It looks almost like a Star Trek symbol. That's the uh, emblem for our church. <laughs> Live long and prosper, everybody. And uh, uh, you guys know, I told you where that comes from, right? Yeah, I'm Spock, and uh, of course, it's a, it's a priestly blessing. Um, uh, if you can you just type in Agape Church app and download the app, it's free, and you can get uh, our, our, our sermons, uh, my sermon series, uh, my Hebrew classes, uh, you can do the you can do the podcasting or you can watch the, uh, the videos. Uh, you can also follow. You can watch us uh, on um, Facebook Live or on our live stream. Our live stream you can get through the website or through the app uh, as well. And if you're on Facebook, you follow us at Agape Church LR, which stands for Little Rock. You can uh, you can get the uh, the live the live when we're two hours ahead of you, so you could actually have church uh, before you get to church. So. Uh, and that's, uh, that's um, every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock our time, so that's going to be uh, 8 o'clock for you. Uh, and uh, if anybody would like to, uh, to follow me on Twitter, it's uh, at Dr. Scott Stewart. It's just Dr. Scott Stewart. Um, and um, Instagram, I, um, uh, I supposedly have Instagram requests I've not answered yet. I still cannot find that anyone's requested that of me. But if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, uh, my, my handle is Away Mission, And it's misspelled. It only has one S in it. So... Uh, so it's a away mission with one uh, with one S, and that's just because somebody else had the other. So that's the only reason why I have it the way I do. Um, and that's also a Star Trek reference, in case you didn't uh, in case you didn't know. Uh, I'm showing a little. We had we had uh, uh, Jesse Duplantis recently um, at our church just a few weeks ago, and we're in the back room, and and, he, and we're we're having uh, lunch after the Sunday morning service. And and he I, I found out when he was talking, I found that he's a he's a huge Star Trek fan. Right, and uh, and of course he says that my wife rolls her eyes, and uh, and and I said, oh really? I said, yeah. I said, I said I would consider myself pretty much a, a Trekkie, and he said, oh really? Let me let me test you to see if you really are a Trekkie. And I said, okay, great. And he said, what is the Kobayashi Maru? Do you guys know? <laughs> let me see. How many know? Geeks. That's what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm with you. And I and I told him. I said, it's an unbeatable test. I kind of explain it. He said, ah. You are actually a Trekkie, so uh, we're we're all in good uh, we're all in good company. But yes, the Kobayashi Maru. If you don't know what that is, then you've missed at least a good portion of your life. Okay. All right. Enough of that. Are you ready for the word tonight? All right. Go to Ephesians chapter four, please. We we were talking last week. We're talking about uh, entering into uh, and, and and being able to possess the promises God has given us, the inheritance that He's laid out before us, and how so much of gaining that inheritance is based upon identity. Uh, even when a natural, uh, if you're looking at a natural inheritance, if when, 
whenever your parents pass on, your great-grandparents would pass on, if there's inheritance left to you, one thing you have to do is you have to prove your identity in order to have access to the inheritance that's left to you. And there is, there is great and precious promises that have been left to us, as we know. And these great and precious promises were given to us that we might possess them, we might obtain them, that we might live in them. Um, and we've heard them preached and taught for many, many years. And that's all good and wonderful. And we needed that revelation. But, but it's, there comes a point to where it, you need to start walking in what you actually have. We start walking in what you actually have been given. And so a part of that is that revelation of identification. Now, I said this last week, so I'm just kind of repeating myself right now, but, but just as a little foundation. When we, once we get revelation of something, revelation changes the way we act. Revelation changes how you do things. When I got the revelation that I was the righteous, righteousness of God in Christ, what happened is it changed the way I prayed. It affected me so that my prayer life became different. When I had revelation that God had made me prosperous and already blessed me in, in Messiah Jesus, then it changed what I did with my finances. I, I began to give differently, and then I began to live differently. So, so revelation changes reality. And it's not good enough to, to sit and take notes for 30 years in church and never actually do what you've been taking notes on. Thank you for your enthusiasm. You know, the Bible says that, that we can actually, you know, we, all, we, all, we know the devil is a deceiver. But you know, there's another big deceiver out in the world, and that's you. The Bible says this, if you hear the word and don't do it, then you deceive yourself. And a lot of people have heard the word taught for decade after decade after decade, and they've taken good you know, notebooks full of notes, but very rarely do people take those notes home, open them up, look at them and say, how do I live this this week? Instead, they go on the shelf as another accomplishment of a notebook filled, as opposed to walking it out. So those who hear the word and don't do it are full of self-deception. So what we want to do is we want to move from that place of just hearing promises and understanding promises and and learning about promises to the place where we're actually occupying promises and doing what those promises have actually been promised to us to do. And a part of that, as I said, belongs to this whole idea of, of identity. When I can identify with who God has made me, then I begin to access those promises. When we identify with God having made us righteous, we begin to act righteously. So all these things uh, have been taught for a long time. Many of them we walk in, but we certainly don't walk in all the promises God has given us. And I'm looking forward to those good and precious promises in their fullness. So here in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look here. We all know these verses of Scripture, so it's not like we're reading something we don't know. In verses 11 through 13, the Scripture says this, And He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith. Can you say that word, Unity. Unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, under the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. That is a tall order right there. The fivefold ministry had been given for the purpose of bringing the body of Messiah into a place of unity and a place of maturity, unto a perfect man, under the fullness of the measure of the stature of Jesus. How many know we are a long way from there? And if you look, if you don't think that's true, just look at the person beside you and 
Tell them you're praying for them. Because, because, because that's, I mean, honestly, to the fullness of Jesus, the fullness of the measure, the stature of Christ, the fivefold ministry given to bring us to a place of unity in that. We talked last week how there are 41,000 different denominations in the world today. And so there's very little unity. There must be something that unifies. And Jesus should be enough to unify us. Would you agree? The Word should be enough to unify us. Uh, but unfortunately, we have people that are, are, are bent on taking what God said and distorting it or changing who Jesus is. As I said last week as well, people have made Jesus now. They, because they want to identify, what they've done is they've, they've taken Jesus. And maybe some of you did this after we taught last week. You go online and you can look and you can look. You can see images of, of uh, an Indian Jesus. And he's actually sitting down with his legs crossed like he's a Buddha or something, but he's Jesus. Or you can see pictures of or an Oriental Jesus or, or an African-American Jesus or a Northern European Jesus or any kind of Jesus you want. Because in the attempt to identify with Jesus, what people have done is they've made him like themselves, themselves, as opposed to allowing ourselves to be made like him. And the Bible is very clear that we're supposed to be conformed into his image, not him into our image. There's only one Jesus. There's lots of people. So we all have to be conformed into his image. In other words, we all relate to him. His plan is that he would have one group of people following after himself, that one true shepherd. He he himself even said this in John's Gospel in chapter number 10. Please turn there. John's Gospel, chapter 10. Jesus speaking to his uh, disciples that were with him. Verse number 16, chapter 10, verse 16. He says this. Jesus speaking says, I have, I have other sheep, I'm sorry, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Now he's speaking to all the disciples that are with him. That would have been the 12 and also potentially the 70 that were with him. So he was talking to his, his audience and all of his audience were Jewish, okay? And he tells them, he says, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold and them also must I bring. They shall hear my voice and get this, there will be one fold and one shepherd. Not 41,000 different segments of my body. So eventually, what is happening in the world is going to begin to reverse on itself. And what Jesus said is going to be the reality. How many know when Jesus prays something, it's going to happen? And he, this, is, this is all in context of his prayer here. He begins to pray about this oneness coming. So this one fold starts coming together. It's going to happen. The question is, are we going to be in a place where we can receive it happening? Or are we going to be one of those who are saying, you know what, I'm going to hold out as long as possible. I don't know about you, but I want to be in whatever Jesus wants me to do. There's going to be one fold and one shepherd. Of course, he is that one, that one shepherd. But he's intending that we be one fold. That doesn't mean that we can all be in the same place because that's not going to be possible. But he is bringing us together into a place of unity that the fivefold ministry were given to bring about. Unfortunately, the fivefold ministry has not been able to function in that, in that way to make that happen as of yet. So let's move on into, hopefully that's a little enough review from, uh, from last week. So let's go on and just go into uh, the book of Romans, please. Romans chapter number 15. Romans 15. Paul's struggle is that, and I guess if I could put a title on this message over these past two weeks, it's called Paul's struggle. Paul's struggle is to take people who were Gentile and to get them to re-identify. Last week, if you recall, 
What we did was we showed over and over again verses when he talked to Romans, when he talked to Corinthians, when he talked to Ephesians, where he was trying to get the Gentiles to identify with the fact that they're no longer Gentiles. And there's only two groups of people. Either you're a Gentile or you're a Jew or you're a Hebrew. There's only two groups of people you can be. So he was trying to get them to get this download that you now have a brand new identity. I think it's important for us to know this. Jesus did not come to start a new religion. He did not come here to say, hey, I think I'll start a brand new brand of, of religion. He didn't come to do that. Jesus came as the zenith of Judaism. There was only one group of people on the whole planet that was expecting a Messiah. And that was the Jewish people. There was this one faith that God had put into place. God had put it there. And when God put it there, he put the zenith, the pinnacle of this was that the Messiah was going to arrive. And the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah that when Messiah arrives, he will draw all Gentiles unto himself. The mission of the Messiah was to draw all of the the natural born seed of Abraham and then to draw all the Gentile people together, creating one flock of people with him as the main shepherd. He didn't come to start some off-branch shoot. Now, we have split up into many groupings, as we've already talked about, but the original plan, which will be done was to create one group of people following one shepherd, Jesus. And and Paul is trying, he's struggling to get the Gentiles to say, listen, you now are connected to something much bigger than you've ever thought possible. You have to stop identifying with yourself as this pagan group of people over here. We read last week in in Romans chapter 2, he said, the true Jew is one that circumcised in their heart. How many are circumcised in your heart? Hello? If you're born again, you are. So... So he's saying, listen, I want you guys to grab a hold of this because your identity depends on it. Your identity depends on you making this transition. This, how many of you have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and put in the kingdom of God as your son? Amen? The very first Hebrew ever mentioned in the Bible was a man named Abraham. Abraham crosses over the Jordan River. And when he crosses over the Jordan River, when they see him, they say, there is Abraham the Hebrew. The word Hebrew in the word Hebrew in Hebrew is the word Eber, and the word Eber in, actually means to cross over. So when they when he crossed over the Jordan, they said, "There he is. Here's the one who has crossed over." How many of you have crossed over from death to life? You're Ebers. You're Hebrews. All of us are. We've all crossed over. See, Abraham was that was that thing that that God embodied. How many know Abraham is your father? Well, if Abraham was your father, I guess Abraham was not a Christian. But Abraham is your father. He's a, he's a father of each and every one of us because now we are a part of his children. You remember that. Father Abraham had many sons. And they were all saying, many sons had. I am one of them. And so are you. So let's all just praise the Lord. Then you go, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had father. You do all kinds of funny things. But we're all like, now that, those are great because we're getting the kids to identify with Father Abraham. But Father Abraham was not an evangelical pastor. He was one who crossed over. You and I have crossed over. Therefore, we are also Ebers. We are also Hebrews as well. And God is now working with the Apostle Paul to let the Gentiles see you were Gentiles, but you're not anymore. Identify now with who your new family is. Remember last week we read in 1 Corinthians, he said, all of our fathers with Moses. We saw last week how their history is now our history. 
Their people are now our people. Their story is now our story. Whenever we see something on television, we see, you know, if something happens with the nation of Israel, we need to have great sympathy. Those are our people. And prayer and supplication for them. Listen, you and I are meant to make our elder brothers jealous. You can feel the love in the room. All right. Look what God says here in Romans chapter 15. Romans 15 verse 5 through 13. He says this. Now the God of patience. Aren't you glad you have a God of patience? Because if you didn't, you'd be nothing but a charcoal on the ground. Okay. The God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another. I did a study years ago and a teaching in our church in Scotland. And it was, it was called the one another's. Like 90% of the time when the Bible says, be kind one to another, be loving one to another, don't hit one another, that type of things. About 90% of the time, it's always talking about bringing Jews and Gentiles together. Because they're so different than each other. And he's saying, listen, be kind to each other. Yeah, you got different cultures that are blending here, but you're blending into one people You'll be able to possess promises like you've never possessed promises before. Paul writing to the Romans here. We already read last week in Romans chapter 2 about Paul wanting to get a new identity in the minds of the Romans. And he says this here. He says, he says be kind. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, be like-minded one toward another. So obviously he's talking about more than one person. This are two groups. And we'll see that here in a second. These two groups, he's trying to get them, to push them together because that's what Messiah did. Messiah came and brought all men drew all of us unto himself. And he says here, um, where am I at? Where am I at? That you be like-minded one towards another, according to Christ Jesus. That you may be with one mind and one what? One mouth, glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, wherefore, receive you one another. Now we typically take this and say, just love the brother sitting next to you because he's got problems. That's typically the way we look at it, but that's not what Paul's doing. You have to remember what Paul is doing throughout all these Gentiles. He's trying to reorient their thinking, change how you see yourself. Know you're a part of a much bigger picture than anything you've ever seen yourself being a part of before. And that's what he's doing here. He says, wherefore, receive one another in Christ as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision, that is of the Jews that is, for the truth of God to do what? To confirm the promises made to the fathers. Now this is important. We know Jesus was a multifaceted, he had a multifaceted function in the earth. He came to do a lot of different things. He came to subdue the enemy. He came to make a way for us into to the Father to secure everlasting righteousness for us. He had a lot of things on his to-do list. He could multitask, ladies, even better than you guys. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't like your typical guy who was very focused on one thing at a time. He could multitask. And he came to do a lot of things. And one of the things he came to do was to confirm all the promises. Now think about this. He came to confirm the promises made to who? The Father's. The promises God had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus came to confirm every one of them. People who try to tell you the Old Testament is passed away, the law is out of date, 
then that puts the ministry of Jesus out of date. He came to confirm everything God had ever promised. Aren't you glad God is not someone who gives something to you and then takes it away? When he tells you something, you can go to the bank with it. It is true. And Jesus came to confirm every promise ever made before to all the fathers. Part of his reason was he came here to confirm them all. And I always, I always think it's funny whenever people, when I, when I listen to people, especially hyper-grace people, and they teach and they say, well, you know, uh, the, the, um, the, the, the law, Jesus came, he fulfilled the law, meaning he did away with it, even though he, he says he didn't. But nonetheless, let's not, let's not take the word into consideration. Let's just take... You know, hyperbole. Let's just say he, 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 did, he did away with it, and so the law is all, all, is all done away with. And then they say, but let's go read the blessing of Abraham that God has given to you. Turn to Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 is the Mosaic law. Yet they go to the Mosaic law and the blessings of the Mosaic law to get the blessings they claim actually belong to Abraham. They're all convoluted and messed up. And one thing is right, what they're doing is they're trying to give you some promises that Jesus came to confirm. So none of the promises that were given in the old have been done away with. They've barely been allowed for us to partake of them. So now not only do we get the promises of the new, but we all get, get the promises he gave in the, in the old as well. It's important for us to, to know this, and I may have mentioned this to you before, but I'll go ahead and say it again. Covenants that God gives do not displace Okay. When I said it, what I mean is, when the, new te- when the new covenant came along, it did not displace the old. It does, that doesn't work that way. I mean, because people typically say, typically say things like this: "We're not under the old covenant." Have you heard that before? Okay. Now, when people say that, you have to. You sh- we should be able to stop them and say, "Okay, clarify what you're saying," because there's a lot of covenants that are old. What are you talking about? How many know the Noahic covenant is an old covenant? The covenant God made with Noah. And how we know the covenant God made with Noah is still in effect? You see a rainbow recently? Right. That is still there because God said, I'm making this covenant with the earth. Here is the sign of this covenant. And that's the end of the story. If the promise of God is still true and there's still a rainbow, that means the Noahic covenant is still in effect. We're not under the old covenant. Which one? I'm glad that we're still under the Noahic covenant, aren't you? I'm glad that what happened in Houston did not happen to the entire planet. I'm glad that God put a stop in the, he, he, he put a covenantal stop in action so that that earth would never be flooded again. That covenant is still in effect. So when Jesus came and we're not under the old covenant, we, we must still be under that one. So which one are we not under? Oh, it must be the Abrahamic covenant. Are we under the Abrahamic covenant? I certainly hope so because the blessing of Abraham has now become Ours, if I'm not mistaken, the, the land that God promised to Abraham, the children of Abraham still possess it in the land of Israel today. So aren't you glad the Abrahamic covenant is still into play? Abrahamic covenant is an old covenant. And when Abrahamic covenant came along, guess what? It didn't push Noah's covenant out of the way and say, I'm the new kid in town, Noah. Your covenant's no longer any good. No, the covenant's layered on top of each other and they strengthened. Now you got two of them working together. Well, maybe it's, the, maybe it's the Davidic covenant that's now passed away because that's an old covenant. Is the Davidic covenant still in play? You better hope it is because the Bible says the reason why Jesus has a right to the throne of Israel is because God made a covenant with David saying your descendant will sit upon the throne forever. So David's covenant is still in play, which means David's covenant didn't get bumped out of the way when the New Testament came along. What people mostly are talking about is 
the Mosaic Covenant. That's what they typically talk about when they talk about the Old Covenant passing away. And if I could tell you, and that's not even my topic tonight, and I don't know why I'm on this, but I'm going to buy my own CD. Okay, so <laughs> I can give you a list of how many times all throughout the Mosaic Covenant where God says things like, this is forever. This is forever. This is forever. It's amazing how theologians say, yeah, well, that forever is only until Jesus comes. That's brilliant theology. Because it seems to me the word forever has to always mean forever. Otherwise, John 3.16, forever, doesn't mean forever. If forever means forever in John 3.16, then forever has to mean, mean forever in the book of Deuteronomy as well. Otherwise, we are arbitrarily interpreting the Scripture however we want it to be interpreted. No, the, all the covenants layer and strengthen and they're capped off by the new covenant and it pulls them all together. Wow. Now we have the strength of all the covenants of God working together. And Jesus came to confirm every promise ever given. He says he came and he was of the circumcision. Whenever the Bible says that, it may say he came through the Jewish people to confirm all the promises given to the fathers. And that's what he says here about he came of the circumcision. So let's go back into that scripture now. As I get off my little rant here, he came to confirm the promises made to the fathers. Next verse. I go, continue, I'm sorry. And that what? The Gentiles might, glor, might, might glory, glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this cause I will confess you where? Among who? The Gentiles. And I will sing unto your name again. He said, rejoice all you what? Gentiles. With his people again praise the lord all you who and laud him all you people again isaiah said there shall be a root out of jesse that's the messiah and he shall rise and reign over the gentiles and in him shall what the gentiles trust all this is about covenants the jewish people the gentiles think like each other be good to each other be generous to each other hold on grab a hold i'm bringing you together in jesus He's given the Gentiles, the Romans, a new identity. And he's wanting them to see, listen, be like-minded towards each other. The Gentiles, you do this. This is what happened with the Jewish people and the promises. I'm bringing it together into one. He's trying to make sure that he instills this. And if you, and if you can actually put these glasses on, when you begin to read Paul's writings, you see it everywhere. You see how he is continually reaching out to the Gentiles, trying to get them to connect with who they have been made. And as I said this last week, we have been, we are taught a lot and taught well that we are righteous in God, we are healed in God, we are prosperous in God, we are all these things in God, which is all true, but they're all true because we have been put into a people to whom the promises were given. As we saw a little bit last week in Ephesians. So now let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. And we're going to read several verses here, but that kind of leads us into... The whole thing here. Chapter 2, verse 11 through, we're going to go through all the way through verse, uh, well, I'm going to jump around a little bit, so we're going to go all the way through verse 20, but I'm going to skip a couple. Just follow with me. Wherefore, remember that you being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, which are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision. So once again, he's saying, you were once Gentiles, but you're not anymore. You were called that uncircumcision by the circumcision being, of course, the, the, Jewish, the Jewish people. That's another way they would use the Oh, hello, this way. I got a text. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. All right. 
uh, made with hands, that at that time you were without Christ. At what time? The time we were with Gentiles, we were without Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were afar off have been made nigh by the blood of Christ. Next verse. For he is our peace, which has made both one. Who is he talking about? Both one. You can actually go back into Ephesians 1 and the very part of Ephesians 2. And you see him once again going back through Jew and Gentile, Jew and Gentile, Jew and Gentile, Jew and Gentile, coming together, coming together. And now he's saying, hey, this is how big of a deal it was. Jesus showed up to make two into one. Two are going to become one. What does that look like? What is this hybrid amalgam? What does this look like? Paul is trying to, trying to let them see this thing. Let's keep on reading a few more. He is our peace who have made both one and have broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Keep on noticing these pronouns. They're important. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity of the law and the commandments which separated us, contained in ordinances for to make in himself of the twain, one new man, so making peace. He tore down that middle wall of petition that was between us. He says here, with, before, this, before Jesus, you were without the covenants, you were without hope, you were without the commonwealth, but now you've got it. Come on up here for a minute, Chip. Let's just pretend for a minute that Chip is a Christian. <laughs> okay. All right, let's, let's just pretend here. Okay, so Chip... Chip is is a is a is a is a is a is a wild olive tree. He is a Gentile. Look look like a Gentile man. Just show me the face of a Gentile. Okay, there we go. All right. And there's this there's this wall here. And then I'm on this other side, and I'm I'm a child of the covenant. So the Lord is saying, Paul is saying, listen, you on this side, you were an alien. Give me an alien sound. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you were you were an alien. You were a foreigner. You had no commonwealth. You had no hope. And you were without God. On this side, we had commonwealth, covenants, hope, promises, God. And this wall comes down. And these two become one. And how does that merger look? Most people think when that wall comes down, then Jews get to be like us. But how do you think it really looks like? Remember, over here, there's nothing no covenants, no hope, no commonwealth, no promises, no God, niente, nada, ingenting, okay? Nothing. When that wall comes down, the merger takes place like this. He comes over here. Now he gets the blessings and the covenants and the commonwealth and the promises and finding God on this side. But most of the time when that wall comes down, we see us pulling them over to be like us. I was, thank you, brother. You made a good Christian. Okay. <laughs> Several years ago, I was in, I was in Germany and I happened to be having, um, I was having a meal with, um, uh, well, um, I've changed my story. I'll, I'll, I may come back to that one. There was a, there's a colleague of mine. They had a church service and, and, a, and in the church service, they gave the altar call and a Jewish man got born again. And everybody celebrated as you normally would anytime any got, anybody gets born again. But they wanted to do something special with him because after all, he was Jewish and now he's, and now he's not, supposedly. So, so what happened is that the pastor and his staff took the man out for lunch after church and to 
let him know he was a part of a new family and God had done something for him. They ordered him, they ordered him a plate of pork to eat for, for, for lunch. Why? Because now you are like us. This is a pastor. Very fundamental things here. The, what the Apostle Paul was trying to do, this pastor in a second, is just doing just the opposite. The, the intrinsic, the, the, what Paul is trying to do here is he's trying to change the identity of these Gentile people. Let them know, before Christ, you, had no, you were not a part of the commonwealth of Israel. You don't replace Israel. That's called replacement theology. You've been grafted into them. Can I get an amen from somebody? Well, if you're grafted into something, what are you grafted into? So if you're grafted into something, there had to be something there first. You're not grafted into the thin air. You're grafted into something. So something was already there. What was already there they were grafted into? That's what Paul's trying to let them know. Hey, you're not an island to yourself. You were a part of this all along in the mind of God. God had you in mind. He wanted you a part of this great thing. Years ago, whenever I was living overseas, I've lived overseas most of my life. And, um, you know, it's amazing to me how the longer I lived overseas, the more and more I saw how that what we believe is inherently American has nothing to do with us at all. My, I remember my first time driving in, 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 in London. My first time to drive on the left-hand side of the road in a city of 11 million people with lots of one-way streets. You talk about getting your wife to pray and intercede. That's the way to do it, gentlemen. You want to pray in wife... Take her to London and drive. All right? That's, that's all it takes. And I'm driving, and all of a sudden, what happens in London, I, I drive up without, I didn't do it on purpose, but I drove up to the U.S. Capitol building in, in downtown London. U.S. Capitol building is St. Paul's Cathedral. We just copied it and stuck it in Washington, D.C. We didn't, that, that, there's no imagination put towards our building there whatsoever. We just copied it and stuck it there. I'm watching my children play sports, and I'm watching my son out there play cricket. And I'm like, okay, they got a bat and a ball, infielders, outfielders, they hit the ball, they run. Hmm, I don't know, maybe baseball. My other son, Ethan, he liked to play rugby. And I'm out there watching him. <laughs> rugby is a tough sport. You ever see rugby players have no teeth, basically? Because <laughs> they have no pads. But I'm watching it, and I'm like, okay, there's a ball, looks like a football. They throw it. They kick it, they run, they tackle. Whenever they want extra points, they have a goalpost that looks just like our goalpost. They hold it and they kick it and they get extra points. And they go up to a line, what they call the line of scrummage. <laughs> and what do we call it? We stole it! We have stolen most of the things that we think are inherently American. But no, we, were, we came from someplace, we've taken from something to make us who we are. But you know what? The longer you hold it to yourself and have no exposure to other places, you start thinking you came up with it. You start thinking, it's American. We did that. That's who we are. And the longer the church stays away from the root of its faith, it's who we are. It's what we have. It's what we did. No. Everything we had came from someplace. Everything we do has a root to it. And unfortunately, most of our ministers have been very good at wielding an axe and severing that root and causing us to grow into something that was wild by nature. I'm on a, um, I'm on a weekly radio program. It's a secular radio show. It's uh, called The Bible Guys, if you can believe it. And, um, and people, 
um, randomly call in this radio program. You can actually, if you want to listen to it, you can listen to it on, on, on the Internet. It's, uh, not, uh, it's, uh, sick, uh, <laughs> it is, uh, you go to, it's a, it's a Dave Ellswick show, and if you go to uh, 69.5, that's the radio station, and you can listen to the radio show. At any rate, um, people just call in and ask all kinds of random random questions. And there was a group of people in Switzerland, this is about two weeks ago before I came here, there was a group of people in Switzerland that had listened to the radio station, and all these, all these people were, were Jewish people. They're sitting around listening to this radio show. And they, and they heard, had me, heard me make a statement, or one of my, my colleagues might have to do it with another guy. And we happened to make the, the comment that Jesus did not come to destroy the law, but he came to properly interpret, to walk it out, and to, to do it. But he didn't tell people to, to, have, to get rid of it. He didn't come to start a brand new religion. And you know what now? Those people there actually now have contacted people who live in the States to communicate with us. And they said, if what that man says is true, it's a game changer and we need to reevaluate what we believe. Just contextualizing our faith in the way that it was meant to be contextualized changes the viewpoint of Jewish people who always thought it was a separate thing altogether. When you start realizing that our games, that our buildings, that our infrastructure, that all of it came from somewhere else and you begin to appreciate it and look at it, you see how we become the people we are in a faith meaning, a faith set. Okay, I'm running late. Let me, let me go. Let's go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 8. Hebrews 8. And this is all throughout the New Testament scriptures. Look what it says here in, in Hebrews chapter 8. Now, Hebrews chapter 8, we're going to read verses 8 through 12. So we'll read several verses here. This is the longest quote in the New Testament from the Old. Okay? As you know, the New Testament quotes the Old Testament all the time. But this is the longest single quote from the Old Testament into the New. It comes out of the book of Jeremiah chapter 31. Verse 8 says this, Because finding fault with them, he said, Behold, this is the quote from Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Can you say new covenant? A new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant. And I disregarded them, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their, in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the greatest... Of, um, from the least even to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Can I get an amen on that one? It's a new covenant. New covenant. So if you go, go back up to the, very, the first, uh, verse 8 again. Yeah, he says here, he says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So where's the church? I thought the new covenant was ours. Church isn't there. The new covenant is for the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The only way you and I get to be a part of it through the blood of Jesus, we become a part of the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Come on, somebody talk to me because I'm preaching better than you're talking. He comes to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. 
the Gentiles who believe in him then are engrafted into the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And by their faith, then we become a part of the new covenant that was given to these two houses. What changes then our identity? I now belong to the house of Israel or how you can, you can name a, you know, a family. Someone's adopted into a family and you get to change your name. A wife changes her name, becomes a part of her husband's house. When you and I got born again, this new covenant came by Jesus to create a new covenant for the same people Abraham's covenant was given to and Noah's covenant was given to and Moses' covenant was given to and David's covenant was given to and the new covenant was given to. The, new, the covenants were given to the same group of people. Remember what we just read a few moments ago in, in the book of Ephesians. On this side were the covenants of promise. I didn't point that out, but it was plural. Covenants of promise. All the covenants belonged on this side. Hey, man, this, this guy is just really good. Uh, really good. I'm going to take up a special offering for him again. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And this is what Paul is doing repeatedly. We believe the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. And now, now Paul is dealing with, dealing with Hebrews, letting them try to understand a brand new situation. He also deals with them about the gifts and callings of God and so forth. Okay, I'm going to run a little bit quicker in this. Go with me to the book of Genesis now. So we're talking about promises, we're talking about identification, ID, identifying, I can, I can access things that are mine in the bank by showing my ID, I can travel, my ID gets me places, my identity moves time, moves space, moves money, moves items, my identity causes things to happen. And so as we identify with the covenants of promise and understand why I have access to them and begin to identify in a different way, it changes and listen, you don't. And, and some people, some people think, and this is preached a lot, that when you get around people of the Jewish faith, you have to kind of pull back a little bit and not be so in their face. Listen, the thing, you, the most anti-Semitic thing you can do is withhold the Jewish Messiah from the Jewish people. Let them. You, you be bold about it. You let them know they want to know what we know. See, the Bible says that, that we would make them jealous. They need to see that we have a relationship with God and we have found the Messiah they've been looking for. Our church in Scotland, we were, we were out in the forefront. We did, the, we did something that had never been done in Scottish history and we had a night, we called it to celebrate Israel. And we just had a night and we, we actually reached out to the, the, the embassy in London and asked them to send us somebody to speak for us and they did. And uh, we started doing that every, every year. I'll kind of, for, kind of fast forward through time a little bit. We did this every year and it began to, we had to but we had to do it uh, imitation only. We couldn't open up the doors and let people in because Europe is very, very anti-Semitic. And there's lots of problems. So we just couldn't just bring in whoever we had to let people in slowly. At any rate, the relationship began to grow. To the, there was no embassy in Scotland. There was a consulate, but no embassy. The relationship began to grow, and they knew who we were and what we believed and what we stood for. So then, then after, I actually turned the church over to my associate, and I left. And right after I left, I waited a few more months. I could have been a part of this. They get a telephone call from the, from the um, Israeli embassy in London and said, we want to start an embassy, our Israeli embassy, in the nation of Scotland, and we want the pastor of the church to sit on the board to create an embassy for the nation of Israel in Scotland. And I thought, dang it. I thought it stayed just a little bit longer. And, and, and so, and of course, our church said, yeah, we're there, and we'll do that. And then two months after that, two and a half months after that, they get another phone call. This time they get a phone call now from the Israeli Knesset in Jerusalem. 
And this is what they said. Um, may I speak to the pastor? Ah. And, and they're talking to my associate, uh, John, and they said, we have, um, we, we've, we've become aware of what, you, what you're doing, and we would like to fly you and your wife and one other person from your congregation, we would like to fly you down to Jerusalem because the president of Israel, Shimon Peres, is having his 80th birthday, and we'd like for you to be there for his birthday party. So we, we have Tony Blair and former president of the United States, the Prince of Monaco, and Pastor John. Uh, <laughs> All down there to celebrate the, the, pres, the president of Israel's birthday. The prime ministers are there. And what has happened is because we have tried to, we've not compromised anything that we believe. Please understand me. But what we do now know is we, by revelation, we understand who we're made a part of. And that's our home team. That's our home team. When something happens to them, we respond. When, when we have a flood in In Houston, people take up money. Our home team gets hit. We help out. When Jerusalem would get hit by a terrorist attack, we would respond. Why? Because that is our home team. If we've been made a part of the house of Israel and the house of Judah, that's our home team. But we can see something blow up in Israel today and turn the channel. No identification whatsoever. Doesn't bother us. Pass on. Next channel. Doesn't affect us at all. Why? Because we've been taught so long The root has been severed. You have nothing to do with that anymore. Untrue. The Apostle Paul wasted a lot of paper and ink if that's the case. You see, together we're strong. I'm going to quickly... It's 8 o'clock. How much time do I have? All right, okay. Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15, 18 through 21. This is the Lord speaking to Abraham. He said, his name was Abram at this time. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy sea will I, have I given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. The Kenites and the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephraimites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergeshites, the Jebusites, and the Mosquito Bites. All of them, all these people... All these people are going to, I'm giving you all, all of them. So he tells Abram that his and his, he and his descendants will inherit a land that's full of all these pagans, all these Gentiles that are there. And he gives a listing of all of these different people. And of course, you know, the story, children of Israel are in captivity. They're released and they go into the promised land and they take the promised land. If you recall, all the, all the leaders are exterminated with the exception of two guys. That's Joshua and who else? Caleb. That's right. Caleb, and I, and I may have mentioned this a couple years ago. I don't recall, so bear with me. But Caleb. Now, Caleb, um, most people see the name Caleb uh, as, as, a, as a name, but the word Caleb actually is not a name in Hebrew. The word Caleb is um, it's a nickname in Hebrew, and actually the word Caleb, Kelev, in Hebrew means dog. Okay? We have this man who does a printing for our church, and he's, he's a Jewish man, and... Um, and uh, he's, a, he's a secular Jew. He doesn't have any, really, any religious affiliation whatsoever. So, but we, we do business with him. I went over to his, the company a few weeks ago, actually last year, and I was getting some, getting some work done. He has a little poodle that runs around in his, uh, in his shop. And uh, the poodle was doing something. And so he called the poodle over and he, says, he said, Kelev, Kelev, come here, Kelev. And I listened to him. I said, you named your dog Dog? And he said, 
He, of course, he was surprised I even knew what he was saying. He said, yeah, we did. We called him dog. But Caleb means dog. It's not a name. This was actually not Caleb's name. It was a nickname that he was given. Barnabas is a person we know very well, right? Barnabas is not his name. Barnabas is a nickname. His real name was Joseph. Read Acts chapter 3. It says, and Joseph was named Barnabas, called Barnabas. Barnabas means son of encouragement. It would be like, if he was from the south, it would be like calling him Bubba. Okay? Just, it's his nickname. But Caleb, he was called Caleb because he was a dog. Remember whenever Jesus called a lady dog? He called her Caleb. He called her Caleb. Is it possible that Caleb was not Jewish at all? But Caleb was actually a Gentile. Let's look at it and see. Numbers chapter 32. We'll read through a few of these here and then I'll wrap it up. Numbers 32, verse number 12. Now, if you, if you, if you remember what we just read there in Genesis 15, he gives a listing of all these, these Gentiles are in the land that Abraham and his descendants are going to occupy and a particular uh, group of them that were in there was called the Kenizzites, okay? Luke says, Numbers 32, verse number 12. And Caleb, the son of Jephthah, the what? Aha. So guess what? Caleb was one of the Gentile pagan people that Abraham was going to inherit in their land. So Caleb was not Jewish at all. And then he goes on to say, And Joshua, the son of Nun. We got a Catholic boy! We got a pagan and a Catholic boy going to go in and... He was the son of Nun. <laughs> Which actually is kind of weird because nuns aren't supposed to, you know. So he's got a, he's got a bad nun as his... As a, he's got a bad nun. <laughs> uh, you know that's not right. The, the word is actually nun in, uh, in, in, in Hebrew. But we, write, we spell it nun. So, so but Caleb was a Canaanite. Look what it goes on to say in Joshua chapter number 14, verse number 6. The children of Israel, I'm sorry, the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephthah, what? The Kenizzite. Hey, he's been with them for a long time, but guess what? He still has that tag on him. He's still being identified as this non-group of people, even after all these, all these years. Look at what it says here then in, uh, in, verse, in Joshua 14, verse number 14. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephthah, the Kenizzite, to this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord. Now, something beautiful begins to happen. The two of them go in. Jew and Gentile together are the ones that go in together and take the promised land. Up until that point... Up until that point, when they were outside the promise, he was, he was the Kenizzite, he was the Kenizzite, he was the Kenizzite, and they go in together. Jew and Gentile one, had one same faith, didn't they? Because obviously, obviously Caleb now was a believer in Yahweh, and the one true God. So they go in together, and Jew and Gentile, Gentile together take the promise that was given, and once they get into the promised land, and Hebron is given to Caleb as his inheritance. That right there should wave a flag. That, that land was given to the Jewish people as their inheritance. But now Caleb, who is not Jewish, is actually getting an inheritance, a promised piece of the land. Yes! Something's happening between Jew and Gentile. Now all of a sudden, Caleb is now 
come over to a place where he's now getting inheritances, inheritances and promises and taking promises. But not just that. Numbers 34. God is listing all the tribes and listing the princes of the tribes. The leaders. The princes. And it says here in verse number 19. And the names of the men are these. Of the tribe of Judah. Number one on the list. Caleb. The son of Jephthah. Period. No Kenizzite mentioned. He becomes the head of the tribe of Judah. Taking his inheritance. He was fully grafted into the people of Israel. And together they took promises and found inheritances and found they were now one people following one shepherd for one purpose. Your identity is an engrafted identity into a people that we are not ethnically born into but are spiritually now a part of, just like Caleb was. And together we can take promises and see things change. I pray for you that your identity changes and we begin to see each other in the way that God meant for us to see each other. We begin to find ourselves allowing allowing that engrafted revelation to become truly a part of us. Because when I know who I am, I know what inheritance belongs to me and I can receive it in its fullness. For great and exceeding and precious promises have been given to us. Let's stand together and let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, we thank you, Father God, for your the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge, you, knowledge of you. I pray tonight, Father God, that you granted to us that wisdom and that revelation, that understanding, that knowledge, that, Father, we know to whom we have been made a part of. We know who we have been engrafted into. We know, Father God, the blessings and the promises and the covenants that belong to us. Father God, we determine, Lord God, to take our promised land, to receive our inheritance, Father. I pray, Father God, that you would just incubate these words and incubate these scriptures in the hearts of your people. That just like, Father God, they learned they were the righteous and they began to act differently and they were the prosperous and they began to give differently and they, were, they had power in their, their words and they began to speak differently. I pray, Father God, this word incubates, Father, in their heart and in their spirit and turns from mere words, Father God, inspired words, Father, but it turns into revelation that all of a sudden, Lord, they say, this is who I am. Father, I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name for the spirit of wisdom and revelation given to your people. In the name of Jesus. I'm sure most everybody here is already born again as a follower of Jesus. But if you're not, it'll be our pleasure to pray with you tonight. So if anyone's here that would like to make that confession, I'd love to pray with you. Is anybody else? Can you lift your hand so I can see who you are? I think mostly on our Wednesday nights, we are Wednesday night warriors. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you so much for receiving me this week and letting me pastor you for these past seven days. It's been my honor, great pleasure, and a privilege for me. Thank you so very much, everybody. God bless.